like this part of the service. It's just kind of laid back and it's easy. And we invite you to engage with us regarding a question that we ask or pose having to do with our topic today. As I said at the beginning, we're starting a brand new series entitled Lies We Tell Ourselves. And this morning, we're going to talk about the lie of you will become. You, you will become. So before I get into uh, quote the message, here's the question for this morning. Can you tell when you are fooling yourself? Is that a yes or no answer? Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> I posed it as one, and I shouldn't have. I know better than that. Can you tell if you are fooling yourself? Now, here's how this works. Out in the live stream, if you have an answer, a response, there's not a correct answer. There's not a right or wrong, all right? We just want to engage with you. Then you can text us at 720-878-3323 or... You can type your response in the chat window uh, of the screen that you're watching there. So from the audience here, just slip up your hand. We'll bring you the mic. We do need you to ask it over the microphone so that all of our live stream people can hear well, your response. Well, I was going to propose that we say, how do you know when you're fooling yourself? Well, just so it's not a yes or no. It is not a yes or no. We are changing the question. <laughs> how do you know when you are fooling yourself? I think there's, um, in the back of your mind, even when you're telling a lie or, or, or pretending to be something, I think that you might fool other people, but you know you're not fooling yourself. And if you get to the place where you are fooling yourself, you're in trouble. <laughs> For sure. Good response. Debbie? The spirit will put you in check. <laughs> the spirit will put you in check. Now, we often say and use terminology as Christians that, um, or passionate Christ followers or regular church attenders might know that some in the audience, either here or in the live stream audience, especially if you sort of stumbled across the, uh, this in, the fa in Facebook, might not be familiar with the terminology. So, Debbie, do you want to expound a little bit on the spirit will put you in check? What does that mean, practically speaking? If you said that to a, a, an eight-year-old or a seven-year-old, you probably wouldn't say it that way. You would find a way to, to explain the word you use there. And that's what I'm asking you to do here. Okay, the spirit will tell you whether or not you are fooling yourself or yeah you have just your gut will tell you you know you'll just ah. feel you'll be able to feel that something is not right see the more you talk that out the better you got at describing <laughs> what you're talking about when we say check we use that term as christians and it means zero to a whole lot of people you said your gut and you said your feelings. I just don't feel right about this. Something in my gut just doesn't sit well with this decision or this feeling or this thing I'm running through my head constantly, blaming myself, criticizing myself. And that's beautiful. That's exactly right. Because Paul said that part of the Holy Spirit's job in our life is to 
bear witness with us or to testify to us, to confirm through our feelings, through our thoughts, that the, that the direction we're going or the feelings we're having or the thoughts we're thinking are pleasing, that they're right. And, and if not, he'll begin to nudge us. He gives us that uneasy gut feeling, you know, don't go this way, don't do that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Good response. Who else? Anybody in here? How do we know when we are lying to ourselves? Lying to? Now you've changed the word. Oh, how do? What? How would I say? How do we know when we tell our? How? how I think there's a difference between fooling and lying. Lying is intentional. Mm. Fooling, it seems like, is kind of accidental. It feels that way to me. Ooh. Okay. (laughs) All right, I have one here. I'll come up in the camera. Yeah. Okay, from Jeff, Peter. Thanks, Jeff. All the bells and whistles go off in you, telling you that you're trying to fool yourself. And by bells and whistles, he means uneasy feelings. Have Isn't you had that song? happen, Jeff? Yeah, I think there's a song <laughs> that has that phrase in it. Uneasy feelings. Uneasy feelings. Yeah, I don't know the rest of the words, though. Whether you guys are really good with that. What is that song? <laughs> think of it. I know you know it, Brad. You'll, it'll come to your mind. And if the Holy Spirit checks you, you know, then you'll want checks to give with <laughs> I'm going to pick on you, Deb. Okay, who else? How do you know? How can you tell when you're fooling yourself? Anybody? There's no right or wrong answers. Yeah, no, we just... How do you feel about this? I'm not sure I ever feel like I'm fooling myself. That's a whole new line of thought for me. And, and that might be a point of counseling. Yes, it might be. It doesn't mean that I'm always right. I don't mean that. I'm not equating the two. I'm just saying I'm not aware of fooling myself. Yeah. You know, like, uh, you know, I think I don't know. By if the I, end of this message? I am going to you... know. And then I'm going to be responsible. And are you going to hold me accountable? I'm, you know what? If you do, I'm holding you accountable. <laughs> Anybody else? Gene, you usually have an answer. Gene, you always have an engagement. <laughs> yeah, come on. I know your mind is always going. Yeah, I know, huh? Well, I was just thinking that you would just, if you're fooling yourself, you would really question, was that right? Was that wrong? I think you would, I think God and, the, and his Holy Spirit would just say, mm, you better think about that one again. We have a lot of really confident Christians in here, a, real, a lot of really confident Bible believers uh, who are confident and strong in their walk. That's very pleasing. It's not very good for a question like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you really listen to the Holy Spirit, I think he, he really nudges you every time you try to fool yourself and you, when you might not be aware of it. So I think you have to have a walk with the Holy Spirit as well mm. as Jesus. So hey, good. Thank you. Yeah, so Anybody good. Anybody else while I'm back here? <laughs> Give you the coffee or the copy of the... Squ- What's that there? Oh, okay, go get you some coffee. <laughs> Anyone right. else? And let Anybody me look else? one more time here. Anybody from the chat? Oh, wait, let's see Do what this is. Do we have a chat? Do we have a okay. a text? Can one fool themselves by thinking they're not fooling themselves? <laughs> now, Is that a text an, you got? Yeah, now that's an interesting... Is that somebody being smart, Alec, or 
Yeah. That sounds like a Lewis. No, that wasn't a Lewis answer. <laughs> Can one fool themselves by thinking they're not fooling themselves? I bet you could. Well, I, uh, frankly, yeah, because Paul talked about, or James, excuse me, how that we deceive ourselves when we, and specifically he was talking about people, First John, uh, John was talking about who claim no sin, to have no sin, all right? Uh, in James, he was talking about those who persist in a certain direction and they're unwilling to hear, unwilling to listen, unwilling to correct, and that we are deceiving ourselves. So in essence, I mean, the whole idea of fooling yourself, kidding yourself, lying to yourself, I understand there's levels of that, but in essence, we are in some shade of that deceiving ourselves. All right, we're not telling ourselves the full truth. We're not uncovering fully. Maybe when we're, uh, you know, when, you, when you've had an argument with somebody, doesn't, doesn't have to be a spouse. Doesn't have to be us. No, it doesn't have to be okay. us. But it could be something. Because there's other things in when you have an argument with your spouse. There's a lot of other things mixed into that. Well, and anybody, there's a lot of things yeah. mixed in. Yeah. And you go, Especially if you're close to them and love them. Yeah, and, you, and in your head, you know how you run over the conversation and run over the conversation and run over justifying yourself? Now, there's some, yeah. de there's some deception in that. that. That's a real problem. And mm -hmm. also, the imagination has a chance to just go crazy. Our imaginations are given to us by God. They're so beautifully um, created by God to be a powerful tool for the purpose of faith and trusting God. But man, when they get crossways and we're deceiving ourselves, our imagination can run wild, creating all kinds of... Worse scenarios. Worse scenarios yeah. about somebody, about what they're thinking or feeling about us, about what they meant by what they said, and your mind just starts running, running wild. And, and that's where this uh, lying to ourselves is really an important mm -hmm. issue. This is where I'm thinking, like, you know, because if you're going, if in the scenario I was presenting, you end up, you're judging the other person. They're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. Without figuring out, well, wait a minute. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. I know nobody else has anybody done that else? but me. <laughs> texting. You're texting your responses right now. So Jeff Peters said the song is Peaceful, Easy Feeling by the Eagles. The Eagles. Yeah, one of my favorite groups. Okay, here he says, people try to fool themselves into believing that what they're doing is right or that you are right no matter what. Mm. That goes along with what I was saying, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's, anybody else in Everybody here? Really good, anybody else? Spark any ideas? All right. Okay, oh, yep, one here. One, one more. Here. Yep, yep. Okay. Hang on, I didn't hang on. think we, we get were going to get out of here without some sort of comment from Bradley. I, I argue with that at work. You argue with that? Oh, yeah, I mean. With yourself? No, with, I know the Holy Spirit's knocking at me and saying, no, you just need to go ahead and do that. Whether right. you did it or not, you need to do it because that's what's right. And I have a stubborn side of me, imagine that, that says, uh, you didn't do that. That's not your problem. That's somebody else's. Just go ahead and do it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I have an argument with them a lot of times that's with that. And I always pay for it if I don't go ahead and yeah. do it. So, so that's that self-talk. Yes. We, we argue with ourselves. And then there's the Holy Spirit, okay? 
So the Holy Spirit speaks to us through our minds. You know, we don't need to be spooky about this. It's very rarely in an audible voice or a burning bush or something like that. The Holy Spirit uses our faculties, and he speaks to us through our mind. And so when you get that double play going and you're, you're arguing with yourself, mm. you may well be arguing with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Did you get another good oh, text? Oh, yeah, yeah, I got a good one. Uh-oh. This one is Lewis. Yeah, is this Lewis? <laughs> Some of us fool ourselves for so long that the lie becomes our truth. Becomes our truth. Years later. Or our foolishness. Wow. Well, I, that's I don't so know good. if he's been reading my notes back there that's what or it is. what he's doing, but he just kind of yeah. took a slice of meat out of my sandwich. <laughs> well, I think that's it, though. These are great, great answers. Really great, great answers. Thought provoking. Really good. Our text today is taken from the book of Genesis, and I bet you can imagine where I'm going with this. Chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Let's look together. Now the serpent was more crafty, underline that, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, immediately this conversation is going south because she's already inserted something into what God said that God didn't say. He never said she couldn't touch it or they couldn't touch it. But the serpent said to the woman, and here's our key verse for our text this morning. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You will be like God. In other words, you're not yet or you're not fully, and God's been holding out on you, and he knows, right? He understands that if you eat, you will become like him, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Again, underscore that. So we have crafty in the first verse, and we have naked down here in verse, I guess that's about seven. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Imagine that uh, uh, imagine that that the creator of the universe has had regular daily fellowship with you conversational fellowship and intimacy with you and you are now hiding from his very presence but the lord called to the man and said to him where are you how many of you know God was not having any trouble finding Adam and Eve? <laughs> I 
This is a different question. So hold on to that. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. And the, watch this. And the Lord said, who told you you're naked? Who told you you are naked? Did the serpent say that to her? Hold on to that. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So in this series, The Lies We Tell to ourselves, this week, you'll become like, is the subject, next week, the lie of determinism. What do I mean? Well, that all events, including human action, are determined by God's will. And so, oh, well, God's, God's decided, I just accept. Then in week three, we're going to talk about the lie of fear, that imagination is the source of both good and evil, and we're constantly imagining that something bad is going to happen to me. How do we deal with that? How do we stop that imagination? And then in, in the fourth lesson, God willing, we'll talk about the lie that there's a reason for everything. And, and what that digresses into is I must know why and I must have control. Without that, I just, I, I can't be happy. So we're going, to, we're going to deal with that lie as well. Lying to ourselves has a lot to do with how we perceive reality. Let me make that point. This is a little funny that got sent to uh, Nina, and it sh was shared with me as well by one of our ministerial friends. Could we have that? Wacky Wednesday, please. A pessimist sees a dark tunnel. An optimist sees light at the end of the tunnel. A realist sees a freight train. The train driver sees three idiots standing on the tracks, <laughs> right? <laughs> so a lot of the reality of lying to ourselves depends on how we perceive things and how we perceive reality. Sharam Heshmat, PhD, an associate professor emeritus at the University of Illinois, he said this, everyone is in denial about something. Everyone is in denial about something. And self-deception or lying to yourself is simply a motivated false belief. Man, if you're taking notes, or if you'd be inclined to grab your smartphone and just write something down. Self-deception or lying to yourself is simply a motivated false belief. So let's take some examples. How about ignorance is bliss? Where do we see that manifest? You saw that at the marriage vows, right? Till death do us part. And well over 50%, even of Christians today, well, it's much higher than that. These are old statistics, get divorced. And yet they said those very words. Why? Because ignorance is bliss. You're not really dealing with reality when you're young and in love and infatuated and you've, you know, however your courtship went. I got married when I was 19. I wasn't even wet behind the ears. I hadn't experienced life. I've had to learn to love. I've had to grow in love. I have to grow in commitment and understanding what that is all about. Then we have the reality denial. This is something that an alcoholic is struggling with or the woman who's been abused who continues to take a man that's been abusing her back. What is that? 
That is a denial of reality. We're lying to ourselves. That woman is lying to herself when she takes that man back, thinking that it's going to be better, that it was her fault. Overconfidence. Now, confidence is something that my son-in-law spoke of in his series that he just finished. Thank you very much. What a nice repose that was to have three weeks in a row off from the pulpit as Oh, it was needed in a couple of areas where I needed to apply my time, so thank you very much. But Matt dealt with this word confidence, and he stressed the importance of it and and the good things about it. But let me say that an overconfidence can be an area where we're lying to ourselves. Let me give you an example. 94% of professors at large colleges believe that they are better than average. You've experienced that being in education the way that you have in higher education uh, up through, you know, the grades that you were and and especially the subject of math. Psychologist Lauren Nordgren found that among a group of people trying to quit smoking, the ones who gave especially high ratings to their own willpower were most likely to fail. All right? So we can be lying to ourselves, all right? in a lot of different ways. How about cherry-picking data? People tend to embrace information that supports their beliefs and reject information that contradicts them. For instance, people require more information to accept an undesirable idea than they do for a desirable one. Isn't that true? All of this from Brother Hashmat, PhD. And such is our issue that we face today as we deal with this passage. Everyone's sight or perception isn't the same. And my responsibility as a pastor in this series is to come alongside you and awaken your perception, not tell you how to believe, but to awaken something already in you that you know is true. And Gene, that's why I so plugged into what you said. And Debbie, what I plugged into beautifully to what you said about being checked by the Holy Spirit. Gene, if you have a walk with the Holy Spirit, he's, he's going to be talking to you. Brad, when you're at work, he's urging you to, right? See, that, that's that walk with the Holy Spirit. But everybody's perception of how that takes place is a little bit different. And so I'm not talking about physical sight. I'm talking about an inner knowing of self already provided to you by the Father. Let's deal with our trad- a point of tradition here for just a moment, our, our religious training. All right, this first graphic. So generally speaking, if, if we just take a step back, 40,000-foot view, and say, okay, well, so what is the book of Genesis about? This is what we would encounter. Adam sins by disobeying God's command not to eat. Secondly, next graphic. Mm -hmm. Adam, having violated God's holiness and righteousness, is banished by an angry God from the garden, and Adam's sin creates separation. Right? How's this scenario so far? And then finally, plan B goes into play. So God sends Jesus as a ransom for sin, 
Jesus' sacrifice by God on the cross is payment for the just penalty that God requires. Jesus thereby purchases our salvation, secures our forgiveness, and provides the meaning, or the means, excuse me, for going to heaven. For most people, that is why the book of Genesis deals with, quote, the fall. That's what we have in the fall. But I'm going to take you back to verse 5 of our text. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, we know their eyes were opened because they began to perceive that they were naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? But the serpent never told them they were naked. Something got awakened within them on the evil side, if you will, of things, the negative side, the bad side that God reserves for himself. That is judging between right and wrong, good and evil. It's not yours to do. It's called a tree of the knowledge of not just good, it's the knowledge of good and evil. It was never given to man to make those judgments. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm going to stretch some of you here, all right? What if Genesis 1 through 3 should be viewed in the way of the rabbinical teachers and historians and the way they view them? Now, I I just gave you three slides and basically gospel 101 in terms of the fall, what happened in separation, and why Jesus came, okay? Just in three slides and a couple of comments, that is believed widely by evangelicals across America. It is not widely believed, by the way, in that same way by our Eastern Orthodox uh, brothers and sisters. But it is definitely not believed by our rabbinical teachers. Now, I ask you, just you don't need to raise your hand or comment, but just for your thinking, who wrote the Bible? Oh, God did. The Holy Spirit gave it to Yeah, I know, but who wrote it? Who do you write it through? Whose thinking did he use? What were the customs? What was the culture of the day of the writers? All of them were Hebrew. Who preserved the the sacred scriptures? Who recorded it, first of all, and then preserved it by continually writing it over and over again through the centuries for each of the cultures to partake of so that it wouldn't die out? They were all rabbinical teachers. And nothing in rabbinical thought gives us to understand that chapters 1 through 3 of Genesis are literal. Now, Jesus refers to Genesis. Paul refers to Genesis. Luke refers to Genesis. In the New Testament, Adam is referred to. All right, so don't, don't, don't throw it out. All right, don't beat me up already in the lies you're telling yourself about me. I'm asking you to consider something from a different perspective than you may have considered it ever before. What if Genesis chapter 3 
And the conversation between Eve and the serpent represents an internal discussion that takes place regularly in the mind of every human. You see, we know that Adam represents humanity. He wasn't just a person, single person. He represents all of humanity, but what if he represents the universe? And what if what we call the fall was the shattering of man's understanding of his relationship with God and then the submission to his own fallen image or his own ego? That when Adam and Eve's eyes were opened, they became aware that they were naked? What if what they were experiencing was taking on the self-image of Satan rather than the image that they were made in that was complete? Now, consider this. In verse 1, we're told that the devil, Satan the serpent who came, was more crafty or subtle than any other beast created. The word for subtle there or crafty is the identical word used for naked when it says, and they knew they were naked. All of a sudden they go from a perfect relationship with the creator where they have everything, where they are everything, where there's nothing they could want for. And the enemy of their soul comes and questions and says, you know what? You're incomplete. There's something God didn't give you and you need it. And if you'll reach, if you'll touch, if you'll grab for it, if you'll just press in and go after it, you, God knows, will become more like him. And what happened? Their eyes were opened, but their eyes were opened to see something that they never should have seen and take on an image that was not theirs to take on. The ego, the, quote, fallenness of man, where we become self-centered and we leave God out of our life. That's the definition of ego, being self-centered and leaving God out of your life, your decisions, your feelings, your career, where you're going, what you want to do, who you're going to marry. How smart of this presence, this evil presence, the Satan, as he's called, by the rabbinical teachers, who again do not consider chapters 1, 2, and 3 to be literal. They say it was an internal conversation that every human being goes through where we have a choice to keep our eyes on God, to realize that in him we are created perfect. We have everything that he wants us to have and that only the lie that there's something outside that you need to reach for, outside of what God's made you to be that you need to reach for, only in that lie does the ego take over and Satan wins. What if, and we'll put this on the screen for you, 
What if Genesis 1 through 3, instead of providing a foundation for the theology of separation from God and centuries of moralistic behavior correction and attempts to please God, is rather a beautiful picture of the inner conflict each of us struggle with in losing control or falling and falling prey to the original sin of questioning our completeness and oneness with divinity? That was the sin, not eating from the apple tree. Now, you ready? I'm going to blow your head off with a scripture. Let's go to the New Testament now. We'll have it on the screen for you. Colossians chapter 1. Here's what Paul said about the concept of separation that I presented to you in slide form that almost everybody teaches and believes in, and yet... And they get it from Genesis, and yet the, the very text of Genesis supposedly teaching separation from God doesn't exist. Look where it does exist, Colossians 1. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. God never separated himself from you. We began to believe an image that was not ours. So, see, that's where the lies we tell ourselves all start. Our Christ's journey is one of learning to trust and believe again that we are loved unconditionally, reconciled to the supernatural relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's what I'm going to put on the screen for you. I want you, I just, again, if, if you're taking any kind of notes, or if you'd like these notes, I'll send them to you. Let me know. Anytime you face the internal conflict of inadequacy, you are listening to a lie. That inner conflict has its roots in the ego of wanting to control your destiny rather than trusting the outcome to the Father. And Gene, that's what you were talking about. I'm going to trust the outcome of this. The Holy Spirit's prompting me. He's urging me. I'm at work. The Holy Spirit has said, go into my office and witness to your boss who's not a believer, you know, who has never given you any indication that he would listen to the first sentence out of your mouth. And yet you obey and you go in and you have a conversation and you wind up praying with your boss and he winds up rejoicing and turning his heart further in his conversation to the Lord. Maybe not just where you and I are, but further. We got him closer to his conversation with the Lord. I just described to you an actual event that happened in the life of somebody who's sitting here this morning. Anytime you face the internal conflict of inadequacy, you're listening to a lie because if, if you stop and think about it, God created you perfectly. It is in your mind that you are alienated. It is not a creation of God. It is not the doing of God. It is not the judgment of God. That is in and of itself. That separation, that is a lie. It occurs here. It is not something that came from God. Now, we all deal with fears. We wrestle with fears. I don't have the right friends. I need a better job. We're going to deal with this in week lesson three when we talk about the lie of fear. I need a better job. 
How about this one? I, this, this, is, this is like my ego problem, this one here. If only I had made this decision instead of that one. Boy, do I process on that a lot. Oh, I, you know, yeah, I get mad. I, oh, what a waste of time. If I had just done this and I beat myself up, it's a lie I tell myself. All internal compromises and questionings leave us as a, excuse me, all internal compromises and questionings will leave as I come to rest in him. Resting not in my knowledge of him, but of his knowledge of me. When Jesus uttered the words, it is finished, that goes so much further than Okay, I fulfilled plan B. I came and I died for the sin of man, and now I'm going to go into the grave, all right? It actually had very little to do with that. He's getting all the way back to Genesis, and he's saying, look, I am going to take on myself sin, and in the flesh of my body, I am going to eradicate the power and the force of ego for humankind. And I am going to reconcile every human being to the Father. What if the lies that we tell ourselves don't necessarily impose external deception, but rather they introduce a compromise, a covering over an existing area of truth and knowledge that we used to believe when we were humble, when we were innocent, when we were close to the Lord, when we were in a better spirit, a better frame of attitude, maybe when we were under less pressure, we believed differently. We didn't accept all of this stuff and all this religious jargon. I'll, I'll tell you what, religion is dangerous. I'll just say it again. Religion is dangerous. Revelation about who God is isn't new, all right? It's really rather about what we've forgotten. Now, I'm going to leave you with that because I want you to stop and think about it. We're told by therapists, psychologists, practitioners, rabbinical teachers, in fact, most others outside of evangelicalism, we're told that there's actually an essence within us since birth that's more like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit than any other time in our lives. Isn't that interesting since Jesus said, unless you become like a, help me, child, a little child, you will not see. He wasn't talking about going to heaven. You will not see the kingdom of God. There's an innocence. There's an innocence. And it, it begins to be revived when you accept Jesus into your heart, quote. And then... 
when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, quote. These are somewhat formalities of a growing experience and walk with the Holy Spirit or with God, your creator. And as you journey through these things, there's a freshness, there's an innocence, there's a restoration to the things you forgot, not the things you weren't to start with. You say, Pastor, this just seems to be terminology. This seems to, seems to be a message on semantics. Well, <laughs> it might be. But keep in mind, how you perceive something is everything. Are you dealing with light at the end of the tunnel? Are you the person driving the train? God sees you perfect. God sees you as whole. God sees you complete. I often remind myself, and I did just this weekend, as the hours got tight and some things still weren't finished with some media and some things we needed to do, we moved to a new platform internet platform that takes our live stream and makes it available. We move to a new software program that manages uh, the images and scripture verses and so forth. So there was a lot of work involved and then I'm starting a new series. The pressure, the pressure to be prepared is never more poignant and, and more difficult than when you're preparing a brand new series. After you get it all prepared and your titles are all in there, and Matt, I know that you've dealt with this, uh, your titles are figured out and you got, you got the basics, boy, you, you take a breath because <laughs> now you start filling in blanks. But at certain points when I was feeling that pressure, you know what I did? I said, Holy Spirit, you are sufficient here. There's nothing lacking in my presentation. There's nothing lacking in what I'm going to share. There's nothing missing from my Sunday morning that I need. All I need to do is step into it. Whew, that, takes, that takes the pressure off. See, it's not about what you know about God. It's what he knows about you. See. We're going to receive communion. I trust that you'll grab the elements there and we're going to start something light in the background there, just a, a little bit of music. And um, we're going to have the communion passed out here. You get your bread and juice and we'll receive communion together.